Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Um, we thank you for fathers. Thank you for um, children. We thank you for mothers. We thank you for family and the opportunity to come in here and um, worship you with the body of Christ. I pray that you would bless this time, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, feet that are willing to run with obedience, God. Minds to comprehend your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I was um, talking with someone from the church this week. They're going through a little bit of a challenging season. And they said, um, Joey, I want to share something with you. I said, okay. And in this position, that statement can go like many different ways. So then you just wait for a moment, like, what's it going to be? So you do one of these and just kind of like, all right, what's it going to be? And they said, you're right. Oh, this is great. Whew, praise God. They said, you're right. And I'm like, what do you mean? They said, I believe that last Sunday was so important for our church. I said, what do you mean? They said, I believe, this is their perspective. They said, I believe that our church has been sick for some time. And they said, we've made life about us. And they said, I feel like last Sunday was the opportunity of God cleansing us to say, it's not always about you. It's not always about you. And they said, hopefully our, our church can move forward in a way that says it is about other people as well. And they said for them specifically, what was so good about last Sunday was there was this cleansing that came over their life. There was this cleansing moment during worship that said, you know what? God loves me and I need to love other people as well. It, a piece of the transformation that comes when we uh, accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior is that there, I believe that there is something instilled because God's living inside of me and God's heart is what? That all are to be saved. So therefore, there, there is this piece of us that should desire for others to be saved as well. And what they were confessing and what they were saying is, look, um, our church does need to head in this direction of outreach of loving others, of sometimes getting in awkward positions. So um, how many of you guys like to fish in here? Any fishermen? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ding dong day. <laughs> All right. So we have, we have a few fishermen in here. So for you experts, if I'm going to fish for a catfish, I'm probably not going to put a stuffed animal on the end, right? What good is that going to do? You're just going to get a soggy stuffed animal in the water. But if I want to fish for a catfish, what might I do other, other than stick my fist in there? <laughs> I don't even know if that's how they do it. There, I guess what I'm saying is this, is when you're fishing for certain fish, you use certain um, bait, right? Satan does the same thing. He doesn't, um, when he tempts us, he uh, specifically, or even a lot of temptation just comes from your own carnal nature. But if Satan's going to tempt you, he often tempts you in ways that you're actually enticed by it. 
I believe uh, one of the things we're going to talk about here today is Paul addresses, look, I become all things to all people. And I believe in peace what he's really saying is, look, I'm trying to entice people. I'm trying to become certain things to people and entice them to become that bait for people so that souls can be saved. And that's really challenging for this um, generation, young and old, because, again, the older generation, your music style, your preference of worship, your outreach style, your discipleship style is much different than the younger generations. And the younger generation, your stuff doesn't even really connect with the older generation. And then you say, how do we do it? How do we merge these two together the older generation might often say, I, I'm not relative or um, I'm not relevant, sorry, I'm not relevant enough to minister to the younger generation. Or the um, younger generation might say, well, the older generation is just stuck in their ways. And I believe what Paul's saying is, look, become all things to all people. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today. I believe that Paul was a great fisherman. He really was. He caught a lot of fish. So today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 9. And um, at the beginning of Corinthians, Paul is trying to encourage the, um, the people of Corinth um, to walk in greater unity. The Christian community in Corinth was divided even to the extent of arguing who they were baptized by. Well, I was baptized by this person. I was baptized by that person. So Paul's like, hey, walk in greater unity. So we discover Paul is in a very unique place. Later in the chapter, in verse 8, there's a great debate over whether meat sacrifices can be um, eaten or not. Meat sacrificed to idols, whether it can be eaten or not. And now we find ourselves in chapter 9 where Paul denies himself um, the rights of an apostle. So we're going to look at verse 14 right now and we're going to read through 17. So in the same way, the Lord ordered those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet... I have never used any of these rights. And I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my rights to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me the sacred trust. Paul is saying, look, if you're a preacher, if you're preaching the good news, then you should benefit from that. That is a right. But let's not make this about me today I'm not going to say, now give to your pastor today. That's not where we're turning. I'm not going to talk about the right as a leader. So don't make this about me. Don't make this about Mark. Don't make this even about your favorite um, Stephen Furtick. 
your favorite pastor, Stephen Furtick or uh, Rick Warren or whoever you may listen to. Let's not even make it about them. We're not talking about receiving money necessarily. But let's allow this, the heart of the message, to transform us. The gospel Paul proclaims does not come with strings attached. That's the point that he's making here. He's not looking to receive anything from it. There's a compelling, there's something that's compelling him that, it, that there's no strings attached. It's not about a check mark. It's not about um, people liking him. It's not about the money that he's rightfully um, could receive. He says, I'm going to preach the gospel with no strings attached. That's sometimes challenging, isn't it? Because sometimes the challenge is I'm going to preach the gospel because I'm going to see the fruit, and then when I see the fruit, I'll feel like I've done something good. Well, sometimes you plant seeds and you never end up seeing the fruit. And then guess what? Sometimes you don't even plant seeds and you pick the fruit. Paul saying, I'm going to do it. I'm compelled. No strings attached. Rather, the reverse is true. Paul surrenders his rights to make money for the sake of those he hopes to reach for the good news. Far too often, we make this Christian life about us. And Paul is calling us into something greater. I have discovered that... um, that you are compelled to do the things that you deeply care about. So if Paul didn't care about his relationship with Christ, if, if the Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling and living with him, within him in such a, a powerful and real way, then uh, he probably would have done his own thing. Paul's compelling that was inside of him was past was past just a general sense of, oh, I'm compelled to do it. It literally transformed what he did each day. So what wins? Pure intentions or pure actions? Which one's, which one's going to end up winning? A pure intention or a pure action? I believe, I believe pure actions end up winning. It doesn't matter how many people you thought about saving... It doesn't matter how many people you intended to preach the good news to, but it is about that pure action, I believe, of preaching the good news, of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's about doing it. And look, let's not take this out of context. I'm not preaching a works gospel. It still has to come from this place of compelling, of being compelled, of loving God and loving others. And I believe our actions reveal to us our passions and what we are compelled to do. So if your kid comes home and he says, I was was really compelled to mow the grass today, right? But what he ended up doing is he um, played video games all night. What was he more compelled to do, mow the grass or play video games? Play video games. Just because his intentions were pure about mowing the grass, he was more compelled, he cared more about playing video games. 
I feel far too often Christians live in the realm of intentions rather than love and doing. We all have big dreams. We all desire that people be saved. We all hope that our neighbor would, um, would love Jesus. And sometimes we pray. But there's also tangible actions that we can go love them. We think about it, we think about it, we think about it, and then we think about it, and then we think about it, and then we sometimes pray about it, right? And other people were really doing it. But actions are so important. Paul knew um, that he needed to preach. He was compelled to preach. He didn't need any other payment to preach. All he needed was that he knew that this is what God wanted of him. That's it. That was it. God, this is what you want from me. My prayer for the church, me included, is that there are no strings attached and we begin to minister greater to our community, to go out and do, right? Our coworkers, the people we're around, our family members. It gets really challenging with people we're close to, doesn't it? It gets um, challenging with friends. But... But the challenge in all this is, is, is this, is, again, our intentions are so pure, but the problem is many Christians think that their relationship with God should be really private, like just, just to themselves private. And I believe that, that that's one very deceitful because it is truthful to an extent. There's, um, into, I believe that um, the more intimate you are, the more secrets you're willing to keep. So there's stories that I have with God that I've never shared with you guys. Just like there's stories that I have with Macy that you guys never get to know over things that we've laughed about or cried about. And that creates intimacy. Likewise, when it comes to God, we have to be willing to have those intimate moments as well. So it's truthful, but yet far too often the challenge is, well, religion or relationship with Christ is just personal to me. And I feel like if, if that's our stance, then we're missing the point. Love God and then love people. So just making it about us when we say it's just a private thing, I, I think we're missing the point. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. The sum of all the laws, right? Love God, love people. Our relationship with Christ is not who we voted for. You know when you walk out and you put the stamp on I voted today and then you start looking at everyone else wondering who they voted for and then you find out who they voted for and you're like what or you're like high five when we walk with Christ it's not that way we walk as humble beings just saying look this is who I identify with Everywhere we go. 
shared this story several years ago here, but it was during the season where God was really calling me into ministry. And um, I knew that God was calling me into ministry. And I even made the decision to leave Ohio State. I, I made the decision. And um, Macy and I were at one of her dad's work parties. And all these guys there are sharing all their sicknesses and stuff. They, whatever the gallon challenge is, they have the cooler. They put all their drink in it. And then they're all sip, sipping off the same thing. And it's like, man, this is disgusting. So the jug gets to me, and I'm just like, yep, not going to drink this. Pass it on. Macy passes it on, and all these men are drinking. But someone said, Joey, what are you doing with your life? And I said, I'm a student at Ohio State studying special education, already knowing in my heart that I was leaving because God was calling me into ministry. I was a liar. I didn't identify with God. A couple weeks later, I was at Walmart. Saw a childhood friend. Hey, Joey, what's up, man? Nothing much. How are you? Good, good. Dude, what are you doing right now? I'm at Ohio State pursuing special education. What am I? Now I'm a double liar. I was afraid to identify with God, though my intentions were pure, that I wanted this person who I saw to be saved. I left that moment and I said, God, I need to quit being a liar. I need to start identifying with you. So the next person I saw, Joey, how are you? Good. What are you doing with your life? I'm leaving Ohio State because God's calling me into something different. What is it? I don't know. It's scary. And you know what? During that time, um, dad loving me, I got phone calls from him every day saying, Joey, you schedule next semester yet at Ohio State? <laughs> Joey, you know that degree's important. Macy's parents loved them. How's Joey going to provide for you? This is before we're married. Like, what's this crazy guy doing? I made the choice to identify with Christ and to follow him in spite of all else. I was willing to lose some of the best friends that I've ever had during this season because God was calling me one direction and everything else was calling me another direction. And if it wasn't for my willingness to identify with Christ, then today I wouldn't be standing here. Our simple yeses to Christ, to identify with Him, we never know. We're actually going to see the fruit of our simple yeses to identify with Christ for the rest of eternity. One yes changes the trajectory of your whole life. So when we did the Carrie Job event here, it was way bigger than ever imagined. When I talked to Lyndon about it at the Dragon Fett Buffet in Urbana, it was just a simple night of worship. That's all it was. We had lunch there. I said, I feel like there's, uh, God wants us to have a night of worship not involving our current worship leaders. Then he said, cast the vision to the elders. I cast the vision to the elders. I had no experience, no clue, and I can't even sing. I said, yes. 
that yes has then uh, propelled me into being here. If it wasn't for the yes to leave Ohio State, if it wasn't for the yes to identify with God and say, yes, I will follow you and be obedient, then I wouldn't be here today, which then means that God couldn't use me in this manner to help transform a village. Identifying with Christ is paramount. Saying yes to him is paramount. And I know that gets us a little off where I was going, but um, we can't just have intentions to identify with Christ. What is, what is wrong with this? I'm not saying be weird. I'm not saying be an extreme. You're like, what do you mean don't be weird? Joey, you're really weird. <laughs> Fine. Preach. I get it. What's wrong with today that when you leave church, the first person that you see to share the love of Jesus with them? What's wrong with that? I'll wait for the first person to say what's wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. And you know what? Sometimes, actually to start, you have to be disciplined. Because you know the third person that came to me and asked me what I was doing with my life? I didn't feel it. I didn't come out of a cloud of glory. I did it out of discipline and submission to God. And then guess what? Out of my discipline and submission to God, then ended up coming the heart that said, this is worth it. Because the next time I'm at a buddy's house and um, I needed to bring up something hard that God put on my heart that a buddy was dealing with. Literally just met this guy and God gave me a word of knowledge for him. What if I was wrong? Like this is almost as the word of knowledge that God gave me was like, hey, you remember that one time you were on this one corner of this one street when you were 18 years old? Imagine that thought coming to your mind and now you getting ready to share this thought with a stranger. If you're wrong, guess what? You're really weird and strange and maybe even need to go to floor seven at Miami Valley. <laughs> Check in with Jeff Good. But it was right. And it came out of discipline to do it. Let God work on your heart as you're disciplined. You know how many people quit reading the Bible because they think that the first day that they read the Bible that the great revelation is going to come? So then you say, oh, this didn't feel the way I wanted it to feel. So then what do you do? You quit reading. But as you're disciplined and you create a history with the Word and you create a history with God through the Bible, then He ends up giving you this revelation because now you have a greater understanding. The first person that you reach out to today, I'm just declaring and decreeing, the first person you reach out today, they might reject you. And the Bible actually says that, look, people will reject you. Are you willing to count that cost to be rejected by man? But Jesus says, hey, look, it's actually not you that, that, that they're rejecting. It's actually me in you that they're rejecting. Are you willing to be rejected for the sake of soul saved? I want to be. 
challenging. So, our relationship isn't private anymore. Count the cost, right? We've talked a lot about it. If you're going to build a tower, you better count your materials, right? Count your materials because if you say that you're going to build a tower and you only get to the foundation, you look like an idiot. Or if you're going to go to war and you only have 10,000 men and you're going against 30,000 men, you better send out a delegation. Because it's not looking good for you. Likewise, before you give your life to Christ, count the cost. Why? Because he requires everything. I sometimes feel like the easiest part about Christianity is giving your life to Christ. The hardest part is actually living it out. I'm asking, I'm petitioning, I'm pleading. Will you walk this out? Will you encourage? I need encouragement too. But you know what's encouraging is when you have a band of brothers and sisters. And we're all brothers and sisters in here. I don't care if you're 90 or if you're like four months old. Because when I think of like in, in, in the light of eternity, you know like Macy and I are three and a half years apart. So in high school, everyone was like, <gasps> you, you're robbing the cradle, dude. What? But when you get out of high school, it's not even a big deal. I mean, think of Ken and Lindsay. <laughs> Ken's like 55. <laughs> Lindsay just turned 31 last year. <laughs> She's always 29, yes. So in light of eternity, in light of eternity, look at this. In light of eternity... What's the 20 years that they're separated? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. In the light of eternity, we might as well all be the same age. Because we are nothing. <laughs> we are nothing but a mist. A vapor. Will you identify with Christ? even though it's going to hurt, even though it's going to be challenging, will you humble, humble yourself? And you know, the best place to start is, um, I remember meeting with Lyndon every week for a season, and we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I came up here and I sat right here, and I was prayed for by seven people that day. You know, the best place for me to start was not just going to become a flaming, raging evangelist. The best place for me, I went home that day, I had my notes, I gathered my family and Macy around and I said, I gotta talk to you about something today. I sat on this little stool, it was yellow, in the living room, little thug stool. Sat on this stool and I said, I had to talk to you about something. Today my life, forever going to be changed. I shared it with the people who, were, who I was most accountable with. And I said, I'm going to live different. I'm going to identify with Christ. And then after I shared with those people, then I could go out into the world. Today, identify, confess, 
with the people closest to you. Look them in the eye. Make it awkward. Make a phone call. Humble yourself because God opposes the proud. Humble yourself and say, God, I'm identifying with you today and I'm going to identify with you in the world and tell your family. And then from there, watch the transformation. So there's three qualities that God's really put on my heart. Um, that God's really, really, really put on my heart about how to identify with him. And um, I believe that these three qualities will completely transform your walk with him. The way that you know him, the way that you love him, the way that you see him move in the world. Um, I believe that these three qualities are actually the core of my life. Um, three principles that I try to live by each day. So um, they are this. Uh, well, actually, far too often what, what happens is as Christians, we often try to make preaching the good news or sharing the good news with the loved one a gift, right? Well, that's for the evangelist. Far too often we do that. I'm not gifted the way that you are, Joey. What if I tell you, I don't know if I'm in a gifted evangelist. Just because I'm charismatic, just because I'm outgoing, doesn't mean that that's where I'm anointed. Maybe I am. It's not, there is a gifting, evangelist, but you don't have to be an evangelist to do it. Far too often, we say that you have to be the evangelist to share the good news. I disagree. Paul quickly debunks that, uh, debunks that by saying that as he imitates Christ, we are to imitate him. Paul imitates Christ, and then Paul tells us to imitate him. It wasn't about his apostolic gift. It's not what it was about. It was about him imitating Christ. That's what it was about. And then he says, you imitate me. He didn't say if you have an apostolic gifting. He didn't say if you were an evangelist. He didn't say if someone once prophesied over you that you'll have a TV ministry. It was none of that. It was... I follow Christ, you imitate me. I imitate Christ, you imitate me. So what was he doing? Making disciples, baptizing them, teaching the good news. Our job is to do the same. In the First Steps program, in the First Steps um, discipleship program, um, one of the, in my opinion, the best parts of the book is it says, Hey, look, imagine that Macy and I are eating um, dinner and you walk past our house and you see that we're just eating dinner. You see in our windows, you're being the nosy neighbor and you're just looking at us eating Chipotle. You see the back of our house on fire and we don't see it. Are you going to walk past our house or are you going to knock on the door? You're going to knock on the door. Why? Because our house is on fire. 
Scripture tells us that many people live on the wide road and enter through the open gate that leads to hell and we're walking past those fires every day. You know what? My house, it's, it's a material thing. It's a house. So you're telling me you will be more urgent to knock on my door about a house fire that's materialistic and that we can rebuild and that I'm not bringing with me to heaven over souls saved. Are you willing to deny yourself for the sake of souls saved? So the three qualities. Number one is qualities and disciplines. I'd say more disciplines than qualities. The first thing you must do is in every situation be present. Quality, discipline, number one, be present. Be where you are. You know how, how challenging it is on Sunday mornings not to think about the landscaping you gotta do when you get home? Or the graduation party you gotta do when you get home? Or man, that Papa John's pizza that's sitting in the refrigerator that you gonna stick in that butter? And eat. Be present wherever you are. Where your feet are, you should also be. And when you're present with God in all situations, then he can move. So far, it's like we never live in the now that we're only living into the future, which means we're never even living. Because we live into the future hoping that we're waiting to get to this point, but once we get to that point, we're living into the next point, which means we're never experiencing what God has for us right now. And if we just stop and we live in the right now, we'd see more fruit. There's literally nothing better for me to do, and I think even you guys to do, than to love God right now and to love others. And being present in this moment is, is positioning myself to say, God, who can I encourage right now? Who can I love? Who can I be intentional with? When I'm at Chipotle, literally, my Doppler radar is going off. Beep, 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 beep. Shh. Beep, 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 beep. And I look people. I look at people. I'm like, God, you want me to share something with them? Do they need to know the gospel? Do I need to get awkward saying something to this guy at the register? And you get to know these people. And you make yourself present. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm attentive. Number two is available. You have to be present, then you have to be available. Look, just because you're present doesn't mean you're available. Available means that after my Doppler radar is going off in a church service or in a small group or at Walmart, KFC, wherever, I'm available. That I say, God, if you want to use me today, I'll be used. Use me. I'll, I'll be used, God. Here's my agenda. Here's my agenda. I give it to you. I'm available. I'm available. I'm available. Are you available? It's three minutes till 12 that already took some of your uh, 
anxious radars to redlining. Let's shift the gear, right? Are you available after church? Even though you set an agenda in your life of what you need to get done, are you available to allow the Holy Spirit to move you to do something different? That's outreach, to be available. Not, I'm present, God, I'm here, now I'm available. And then guess what? If you hear from God in your availability, the third principle that I try to live by each day is to be obedient. If you don't, if you, even if you're present, even if you're available, if you're not obedient, what does it mean? We have to be obedient. And when we do that, I literally believe that we're going to see fires put out in people's lives. And this mundane church life will actually become this thing that we look forward to with great passion each day. These three principles are what transform my life. As I've been thinking about them over the past three weeks, I said, God, when I, when I do outreach, what is it? When I love on people, what, what does each day possess? It was, I'm present, I'm available, I'm obedient. And I try to be. I'm not perfect. I don't always do it right. But when I see fruit, that's how I see it. Present, available, obedient. Just do it. The gospel pro Paul proclaims does not come with strings attached, with obligations to care for or cater to his needs. Instead, the reverse is true. Paul surrenders his rights for the sake of those he hopes to reach. I surrender my rights of sleep. I surrender my rights of looking polished. I surrender my rights of whatever, maybe even a job, for the sake of um, soul saved. And I ask, will you begin to petition God what those rights are in your life? Will you start to ask God to help you be present, available, and obedient? And that was page two, so we're gonna have to wrap this up next week. Let's pray. God, so many fires going off. Send us, please, Holy Spirit. Overwhelm us, come upon us. Nudge us, quicken within us. Boldness. Um, may, may we desire to submit to you more than we do submit to the fear of the world. Overwhelm us. Send us someone today, God. May we be present. May we even be willing to look like a fool for you today. May we invite someone to church this week, God. May we even share the good news with someone today. In Jesus' name, help us. Amen. Here's one simple way. Here's one simple way to love someone in a way that can start a conversation. Hey, just want to let you know that you really matter. 
that God really loves you. And then if that's received well, guess what you do from there? Is there anything I can pray for you about? So today, you're gonna be in line at Walmart, Aldi's, Save-A-Lot, wherever you are. I dare you to look at that person behind you or in front of you and say, awkwardly, you're gonna be so nervous. I get nervous every time and I start to shake and people see me doing weird stuff. Hey, you really matter. And they're gonna say, what do you mean? Just, you really matter. God loves you. He's proud of you. And then guess what? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Start with your family. God bless you guys. Love you. Men, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to judge this dipping contest. If we're not taking spoonfuls, then you're not a man. I can't do it. I would prove my manliness, but I'm not a father yet. So I can't go to the extreme extreme. I'd do it. <laughs>